of his mission as he came, walked this earth, lived amongst us, and ultimately went to Calvary's cross and took the wrath of God upon himself. And then, praise be to God, he rose, and then he ascended on the high. And um, I want you to turn just actually this evening, this afternoon, and, and we'll look at that from Acts chapter number 1. So turn to Acts chapter 1 as we, we start. We'll get into Revelation 19 in a little minute. This is dealing with the departure of the Lord. Acts chapter 1, we'll begin in verse number 1. The Word of God says this, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he also showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things that pertaineth and pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, No, Israel has been replaced and shall not inherit the kingdom. I've told you I was feeling mischievous today. He said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me in both in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight, and when they looked, while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. I want to say, as I said at the start, it's been a while. It's been a while since Jesus uttered those words. Over 2,000 years has passed. Is he coming? Has he forgotten his promises? Revelation 19, and the verses we're going to look at, is a preview of the fulfillment of verse 11 of Acts chapter 1. That this same Jesus, bodily, this same Jesus, as he's gone into heaven, you shall see him return. Off the basis of what question? When shall you restore the kingdom unto Israel? Moving from the heavens to the earth. The kingdom. The kingdom. The king is... And will come again. How do I know that? Because he said he would. 
It was prophesied that he would. Time and time again. And as we turn to Revelation 19, you can turn there now. And we're going to look through these these verses uh, this afternoon. We get a preview of this. This is what's to come. This is what lies ahead. This is the future that I talked about this morning as we sat around the Lord's table. That the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is coming again. And what does this tell us? This concept that he's, that he's coming again. How, do we, how can we know this? We can know this because, number one, because of the faithfulness of the word of God. The faithfulness of the word of God. Let's get into Revelation 19 and verse 11. Notice what it says straight away here. And I saw heaven open. This Revelation 19 verse 11. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. You know, we're going to get to this faithful and true bit in a little minute. What we want to see here is that uh, this figure is riding on a white horse. Sat upon him is one that's called faithful and true. So the question is, in our, in our studies through Revelation, I know we've slept since then, it's been a while, but have we been introduced to a rider on a white horse before? Yeah, you heard it wrong. Good, good, good. Revelation chapter 6. Turn there. Revelation 6. Revelation 6. Verse number 1. Remember the four horsemen of the apocalypse? This is the first horseman. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw... And behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So we've been introduced to this imagery before. Question is, we have to look at Scripture, be students of Scripture, rightly divide the word of truth, and say, is this the same? Is the rider and the white horse in Revelation 19 the same as the rider and the white horse in Revelation 6? Now, the answer I'm going to give you to that is no. But why no? Because I said so. No. Why? Why? Because when you look at these two, they're, they're different horses, different riders, um, different concepts behind them. And actually, this takes us back a little bit to um, where I, I really hold the position on this, that these four horsemen of the apocalypse, when you look at the four horsemen, they're representations or personifications of war, death, famine. And I, and I think the first writer is a personification of deception. That's what marks that time. Now, we know that the Antichrist is the ultimate deceptor. But personally, I think this is Antichrist upon here. If you go back in the studies, go back and dig up the record, and you'll see why I, I think that really these are, if we're consistent, these are, these are, these are not, you know, the horse rider's not war. It's given to war. This rider's given the deception, and again, the whole context of this rider with the crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And certainly Antichrist is, a, is, is the type of this. He's the one that does this. He goes forward. But I think the real kind of point that we're being drawn to is deception. Deception, war, famine, destruction. This rider in Revelation 6 has a crown, but it's uh, Stephanos. It's a crown of conquest. It's a crown of victory. 
We get to Revelation 19, and the writer in Revelation 19 is called Faithful and True. And I, I honestly believe that that is in the Word of God, number one, because that is who the Lord Jesus Christ is, but also so that when we come to this, we can say, oh, I wonder, is this the same writer that is in Revelation 6? And the Word of God, knowing our hearts, knowing our, our how we'll look at the word, the word, says, you want to see the contrast here. One's full of deception. Whatever your position in the Antichrist is, full of deception. This writer is faithful and true and true, the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer in Revelation 19, it says that um, heaven opened, behold, the white horse, he that sat upon him was uh, faithful and true, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, on his head were many crowns. That's diadem crowns, that's royal crowns, sovereign crowns. Not one, but many. Many. Revelation 19 is complete contrast to Revelation 6. Revelation 6, for a start, the lamb is in heaven. The horseman is on earth. Revelation 6, the horseman is a deceiver. Revelation 19, the horseman is faithful and true. This is the Lord of glory, I believe. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our blessed hope. We talked about that this morning. Our blessed hope is not the rider of the horse of Revelation 6. Our blessed hope is the rider of the horse of Revelation 19, when we can look and say, this is our king and he is faithful and true. This is our blessed hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our blessed hope. He was Job's blessed hope. Oldest book in the Bible, Job. Turn to Job uh, chapter 19, verse 23. Oldest book in the Bible. Job 19, verse This writer in Revelation 19 is our blessed hope. This writer, Revelation 19, was Job's blessed hope. Verse 23, chapter 19 of Job. Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. That they were graven with an iron pen and laid in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Earth, and though my skin and worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself. My eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Job's blessed hope that his Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at that latter day upon the earth. What is Job referring to? He's looking down, understanding the promises of God from Genesis 3, that there would be a Redeemer, that the Redeemer would come and he's looking down and he's saying, my Redeemer will stand upon the earth in that latter day, in that last day. What is that last day? It's Revelation 19. Job's blessed hope was our blessed hope. The prophets, when they prophesied of his return, their blessed hope is our blessed hope. Turn to Zechariah chapter number 9. Now, there's tons of these verses we could go to. We're just going to have a look at a couple Zechariah chapter number 9, verse 14. 
This is where you find out. People know the books of their Bible. We start to go Old Testament. Zechariah 9 verse 14. And the Lord shall be seen over them. And his arrow shall go forth as lightning. And the Lord God shall blow the trumpet. And shall go with the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts shall defend them. And they shall devour and subdue with sling stones. And they shall drink and make noise as through wine. And they shall be filled like bowls as the corners of the Altars. What's this picture in? This is picture in the Battle of Armageddon. This time when the Redeemer will step foot on earth again. Not to come gentle and lowly. Not to come as one to rescue those that are lost. But one that is going to take judgment upon the lost. Turn to chapter 12 of Zechariah. Verse number 8. And in that day, what day? Revelation 19. Shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem? And he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. And the house of David shall be as God and the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to that pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come up against Jerusalem. We're going to read about this. Revelation 19. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. What a word of prophecy that is. What a word of prophecy that is. Written many years before the Lord Jesus Christ hung upon that cross. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. They shall be in bitterness for him as one that is bitterness for his firstborn. Revelation 19 is this place where all these prophecies are realized. The hope of Job is realized. The hope of the prophets is realized. Our hope is realized in the return of of the king and he's coming to earth this point I want to say again just to to clarify that he is coming to earth he is coming down the church gets raptured which means we go up when Christ returns to the earth he comes down Let's, let's read it. I know we know it, but I want, I want to be clear on this. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verse 17. One Thessalonians 4, verse 17. Paul, writing to those that thought they had missed this, says to them and comforts them with these words and he says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We marry this up with John 14. I go and prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. So the church, us as we sit here, when the Lord comes for the church is to take us to heaven. We go up. Revelation 19, verse 14, says this, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Elsewhere in Revelation, we've told that the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. 
This is the return of the Lord. Prophesied by Enoch that the Lord will return with his saints. Where? Down. Where to? Earth. Earth. So simple, simple stuff. The Lord comes, we go up. When the Lord comes back to go to the earth, we come back down. That's it. That's it. That's the truth. That's the difference between the rapture and the return of the Lord. Revelation 19 is the return of the Lord. We are in heaven throughout this tribulation period. Praise be to God. Because it's horrific. We're not there. We're the body of Christ. We're with him. But when he comes to make war, we come with him. Upon white horses. People say, oh, they can't mean white horses. Why not? <laughs> Why can't it mean white horses? Oh, the Lord comes back on a white horse. Why does he not come on a tank or something like that? Because it says he comes on a white horse. Simple. Simple. Our king is going to return. He's faithful. And he's true. He's faithful to the word. For he is the word. He's faithful. He hasn't left us. He hasn't forsaken us. He hasn't going to leave this world. He hasn't left Israel. He hasn't forsaken them. He's coming for his church. His church gets taken to heaven. The the tribulation period happens on earth. And we read this through Revelation. We come back with him. And he comes back to rescue Israel as they're surrounded by the armies of the world. This is Armageddon. We're going to see this. Why? Because he's faithful and true. Were Israel faithful and true? No. Are we always faithful and true? No. Is he faithful and true? Yes. Yes. It's in him. All in him. Look at verse 13 of Revelation 19. It says, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Think about that language there. A vesture dipped in blood. His clothing is bloodied. Now I want you to compare and contrast. This is the return of Christ. Contrast this with his first advent. Where he came to this earth, he lived his life, and then went to the cross. Because in that week, his clothes were covered in blood. Whose blood was it? It was his blood. His blood. When he returns, his clothes will again be covered in blood. But it won't be his. It will be the blood of his enemies. Turn to Isaiah chapter 63. This is what I think the reference is here. Jesus is coming to make war in Revelation 19. Isaiah 63 verse number 1 says, Who is this that cometh from Eden with dyed garments from Bosra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and their garments like him that treadeth the wine fat? 
I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in my anger, I will trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments. And I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my Redeemer is come. And I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered, and there was none to uphold. Therefore my own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury had upheld me. I will tread down the people in my anger, make them drunk in my fury. I will bring down their strength to the earth. What is this? This is the day of the Lord. This is the King of kings and Lord of lords coming back, and he is treading the winepress of God's fury. Look at Revelation 14, verse 20. I don't know if you remember that from probably a few months ago now. Revelation 14, verse 20. It says, And the winepress was trodden throughout the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even to the horses' brindles, by a space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Revelation 19, verse 13. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. It's not his blood this time. It's not his blood. This time... When Christ returns, he comes to make war. Look at verse 15. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He's coming to make war. And guess what? I have absolutely no problems with this war. None whatsoever. None. The wars that are raging now, they have problems with them. Yes, I don't trust any of them. I don't think there is any of them that are righteous in their causes. But this war, I trust it 100%. This is not fake news. This is factual judgment. The Lord is returning. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. That's Psalm 2. Revelation 2 as well. He's coming again. He's going to tread the wine press of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. What a frightening picture of destruction this is. And it is destruction. And you can see these pictures throughout the Old Testament that the day of the Lord is fierce. That the day of the Lord is coming. That there is a day when Christ will return to this earth and will betide anybody that isn't his on that day. There's shedding of blood, absolute destruction, and it's just. We'll have seen that through Revelation, chapter 6, chapter 16, chapter 17. It's Jesus again. He keeps phoning during the. That's twice he did that this morning. Uh, <laughs> Revelation 6, verse 10, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Remember, this is the slaughter of the saints throughout the book of Revelation, throughout time and history. Revelation 16, verse 6, For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets. They have given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. If you remember Revelation 17, verse 6, The woman drunken with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Get to Revelation 19, and divine judgment is being carried out. Justice is being 
done by one who is faithful and true. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We said it this morning. I will repay. Revelation 19 is the beginning of this repayment. Those that are on the earth, the worldly ones, all that are left really, that aren't sealed by God, have turned their back on him. Now they face him. Revelation 19 verse 16 says, He had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. There's a lot of name and stuff that goes on. There's some, the new name of the Lord actually. We even reread that in verse 12 there, that no man knew but he himself, a name that's yet to be revealed. But here it says in verse 16, on his vesture and his thigh. Why is thigh, do you think? It's a strange place for a name to be written. Maybe the language is a little bit figurative. Can we think of any thigh incidents in Scripture? <laughs> strange, strange request, James question. Yes, Jacob, Jacob wrestled with God until God popped his leg. And then he lost his power to wrestle against God. We're seeing the power of the one that's coming, this name that's written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is different from Pilate's contemptuous title. This is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Remember, who did he come on to first? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. Again, he's coming back, but here he's king of kings and lords of lords over all. Not king of the Jews, king of the world. King of the world. Times of the Gentiles is done. The Lord returns in this name that carries so much majesty. It's just testament to the faithfulness of the word of God. Now we'll have a ringside seat for this. It's pretty amazing, really. But we get to sit there and, and watch. As Jesus returns, this warrior king returns. The culmination of all these Old Testament prophecies about the second coming. They're all there. Loads of them. All happening in Revelation 19 as he comes back to the earth to make war. Which leads us nicely into our second point, verses 17 and 21. We'll read there. This is the fearfulness of the wrath of God. We're moving now from the, the, the conqueror to the conquest itself. Verse 17, Revelation 19. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried with a loud voice, saying, To all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. You know, I read those verses, and it's amazing how quickly you can move from intense joy for the believer to intense sorrow for the unbeliever. The conqueror, the king is coming, but he comes to make war. Here we see that Satan's empire collapses. This is uh, you know, the, the doom of the false prophet and the beast. The carrion birds, those that are the flesh eaters, are invited 
to this supper, this feast. What's it a feast of? <laughs> what the carrion birds feast on? Flesh. Dead people. This is the seriousness of this. So you've got this contrast as you always have. For, for the believer, you know, Revelation 19, where were we at the start of Revelation 19? Verse 7, let me read it. Let us be glad and rejoice, give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and her wife has made herself ready. Verse 9, he said unto me, Right blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So you have in Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb. What is that? That's for the believers. We're in heaven. We have received our rewards. We've sat before the Lord. We are married unto him, spiritually speaking. It's this great time of celebration. But yet then there's a somberness as, as the Lord gets ready to return to the earth to set up his kingdom. And what's going to happen? There's going to be another feast. The opposite of the feast that's taking place in heaven. This is what lies ahead for the lost. Ezekiel 39 pictures this. You can look at that in your own time. In verses 17 to 20 of Ezekiel, this is the image drawn from the wild birds as they feast on Gog. You look into the Old Testament, there's many, many passages that predict this awful time where the Lord returns. But the reality is that in this battle, this great battle, where the flesh of kings and captains, you know, they're all wiped out, is that those that come back with the Lord that we read about in Revelation 14, the armies, actually, Scripture bears out that no one lays a hand on the enemy other than the Lord, simply by his word. He's the one that deals with it. The armies come back not because he needs armies. They come back to witness the faithful and true fulfill his word. It is the Lord that deals with his enemies. It's the Lord that treads the wine press. It's the Lord that goes forth and none of us will do anything other than witness the power and the majesty of this warrior king and he decimates all those before him. In reality, the battle of Armageddon is no battle at all. It's a misnomer. For one side, they gather for battle. The other side, the Lord comes back and says, done. Done. Who is greater than our God? Who is greater than our God? None. No, not one. Revelation 19 saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and the armies gather together to make war against him that sat on the horse and his army. Verse 20 it says, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him. This was the deceiver, you remember? The false trinity, the dragon, the beast, the false prophet. Here the beast and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. That's what it says. But notice what it says. At the end of verse 20 there, these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. This pictures the eternal punishment, conscious 
punishment of the judgment of God upon those that deny him. Eternal torment. Not unconsciousness. Not as the Jehovah's Witness want to teach us. Annihilationism. Non-existent. Not being there for the punishment doesn't it negates it being a punishment. This is the horror of the punishment. We shouldn't read this lightly or flippantly. We're going to see as we move on in Revelation and, and close up the book that um, those that are uh, not the Lord's throughout the entirety of history are going to be thrown into the lake of fire too. What does Revelation 19 show us? shows us that God's fearful. But it also shows us that God's wrath is fearful. It contrasts two people groups. The saved and the lost. The saved in Revelation 19 are part of this great marriage uh, supper of the Lamb. The lost are the supper. That's the difference. That's the difference. The followers will be at a feast. The rejectors will be the feast. When the Lord returns, there's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to run. Those armies that are gathered against them, he wipes them out. He, he, he slaughters them. Oh, you can't say that. That's what he does. Why? Because they're enemies of God. They've killed the saints. They have blood on their hands. And this righteous and true judge comes back and he can righteously and truly judge like no man can. And he will. So as we look ahead to this moment, you know, we've looked back at Acts. We've said that, you know, it's been a while, Jesus. Thank God it's been a while. Because in that while, I came to know the Lord. In that while, you've come to know the Lord. In that while, we've been able to get into the safety of the body of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. But Revelation 19 points us to a time when it's been a while is over. And the day of the Lord is fully here. That great day of the Lord, when he returns... And those that stand before him will face his judgment. And he will have a garment that is covered in blood and it will not be his own. That's the fearfulness of the wrath of God. The fierceness of it. What am I saying? If this does not spur our evangelism, I don't know what will. I don't know what will. And why are these things in here? Why do we need to know these things, Lord? Why have you preserved this in your word that you have given us a glimpse of the end? Number one, it's so that we can rejoice in the faithfulness of the word of God, but also on the counter to that, the flip to that, that each one of us that have experienced the faithfulness of God can be reminded of the fearfulness of the judgment of God and those that do not know him will face it and we can help them. 
But how can we help them if we never tell them? That's, only, that's our job. Share. It's not our job to make people believe. That's free will choice before God. Count your chickens, make your choice. But we have to tell people that there is a way to escape the judgment of God. For all the blessings that are in Revelation 19, there are burdens there too for the believer today. And there should be. That's what Revelation should do. Not make us think, oh, we've got this sorted, happy days, we're okay. No, no, no. It should make us think there are so many people out there that aren't okay. And we don't want anybody to go through this. Let's let the book of Revelation spur our evangelism that we might see many come to the Lord to be followers, not rejectors of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's pray.